Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Last week, we kicked off this series, Managing the Money Monster. And Pastor Chris began by reminding us uh, when we were kids that we had this belief in or fear of monsters. But as adults, these monsters, they don't necessarily go away. They just change form, right? They, they shift into something else. And similar to the monsters when we were kids, they can still cause stress and anxiety and fear. But unlike the pretend monsters that were under our bed or in our closet as kids, the monsters that we encounter in adulthood, well, they can cause real damage and destruction in our lives. And so one such monster is money, the money monster. And perhaps it's been your experience where it's caused stress and anxiety in your life. Perhaps it's wreaked havoc in your own relationships or it's brought about destruction in some way, shape, or form in your life. And so throughout this series, we want to talk about how to successfully manage the money monster. Now, believe it or not, this was a topic that Jesus addressed somewhat frequently during his earthly ministry. And one such instance is in the well-known sermon. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount that's found in Matthew 5 through 7. And so I'd invite you to open up your Bibles or navigate in your Bible app to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And, and we're going to start by reading verses 19 and 20. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, in this passage, Jesus begins by reminding us of the temporary nature of our possessions, our money, and our stuff. Most everything we own on this earth is subject to decay. Nothing will last forever. Just one example of that, I was taking my kids to school. We bike every day on the way to school. And, and this bike that I've had for the last 12 years, we were riding along, and the back tire, as I'm riding, literally breaks off. Just like as I'm taking the kids to school, and I was like, well, guys, dad's about to walk home, uh, looking like a moron on the side of the street. Just like, why don't you get on the bike? My bike tire just completely broke off. It doesn't last forever, so I had to buy a new bike. Now, we've all experienced this, too, when it comes to technology. Over time, it seems like the life of our devices is shorter and shorter and shorter. It's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> See, when it comes to our possessions, there's a shelf life, right? There is a time stamp. There's an expiration date. And even if something does last for a really long time, Jesus references, there's no guarantee that someone might take it from us. And even if the expiration date is decades and decades down the, the road, you and I have an expiration date. We don't live forever, and we don't get to take anything with us. Perhaps you're familiar with the expression, he who dies with the most toys still dies, right? Still dies. And it's because of the temporary nature of our possessions on earth and even our very lives 
that Jesus encourages us to pursue something that will last, something that has eternal value. And so in verse 20, he calls us to store up treasures in heaven. And this is accomplished not by padding our bank accounts or trying to keep up with the Joneses, but by living in obedience to God's commands and performing acts of righteousness as we see described throughout Scripture. In other words, how we live our lives on this earth will determine our heavenly rewards. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And while it's difficult for us to know exactly what these treasures in heaven will be, Jesus assures us that they don't have an expiration date. There will be something for us to enjoy throughout all eternity, which is a far better investment than the money and stuff that we spend our lives pursuing now. And certainly, Jesus does want us to make a wise investment. He does want us to be good stewards by pursuing what will last. But we discover his primary concern for us in verse 21 of Matthew 6. Jesus goes on to say, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus wants us to understand that the things we value most in life will determine the condition of our heart. The things we value most in life will determine the condition of our heart, meaning a life lived in a never-ending pursuit of material wealth will lead to a life or lead to a heart that is far from God. But those who seek to store up treasure in heaven above all else will likely have a heart that's close to God's. Now, I think it's worth saying that Jesus isn't against the accumulation of wealth. He isn't saying that wealthy people are evil. That's not what we're talking about here. But he does recognize that the desire for wealth, whether money or possessions, can cause problems. In his letter to Timothy, Paul writes, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I like how Joel Stoll says it. Jesus isn't against wealth. He is grieved by anything we value more than him. And so whether you're poor or rich or somewhere in between, your treasure, your priority, your focus can be on the wrong thing. And that, when, 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 when that, I can talk, hold on. And when that's what we set our sights on, trying to go too fast. When that's what we set our sights on, the wrong thing, whatever it might be, well, our heart will follow. It will end up in the same place, the wrong place. Jesus drives home this point in Matthew 6, verse 24. It's it's a verse that Pastor Chris discussed last week. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. He He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, you can only have one 
primary focus. And so whether it's treasures on earth or treasures in heaven, something is going to win out and something is going to take the back seat. You can't have it both ways. Allow me to illustrate what I'm talking about. You see, in the same way that you can't serve both God and money, we all know you can't be a fan of both the Sacramento Kings and the Los Angeles Lakers. You can't do it, right? You can't be a fan of the San Francisco Giants and the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's a big no-no, right? Where I'm from, you cannot be a fan of the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers. This is appalling to even consider it. Honestly, the thought of it makes me vomit in my mouth a little bit. It's a clash of kingdoms. You cannot fly both flags. It is my job to disdain the Packers. In fact, I might take almost as much joy in seeing their demise as the Bears win. Right? I'm trying to hate them in the most Christian way possible. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So when it comes to money or God, we have a choice to make. Which one are you devoted to? Because it can't be both. Now, for some of you, maybe you consider this question on a regular basis. This is on the forefront of your mind as you try to wrestle through this throughout your life. And for others, I recognize that this might be the very first time you're ever even considering a question like that, God or money. And since we're all sitting here in church, my assumption would be that we would all like the answer to be that we're devoted to God and not our money. But is that reality or wishful thinking? And one of the best ways to honestly answer this question is to look at what we do with our money or evaluate the financial decisions that we make. Do we abide by biblical principles when it comes to our money? Are we good stewards or managers of everything that God has allowed us to have? Do we spend our money wisely? Do we make good investments? Other than our mortgage, are we facing significant debt? Allow me to give you a real-life example of, of this choice of how this plays out, this decision between God and money. You see, from time to time, engaged or dating couples will come to pastors or marriage mentors, and they'll say, hey, we're planning or we're thinking about moving in together. And oftentimes, the rationale is that it's cheaper. We can save money. We only have to pay for one rent or one mortgage. We only have one set of utility bills. And the list goes on and on and on. And, and then they say something to the effect of, well, doesn't God want us to be good stewards? And I'm like, yeah. He most definitely does. He does want us to be good stewards of our finances. But ultimately, this isn't a stewardship issue. You see, this is an issue of choosing between two masters, God or money. It's a matter of who is sitting on the throne of our hearts. Am I going to allow God to dictate my decisions and do things his way, which means waiting until we're married to move in together, or am I going to let my money dictate what I do? 
And to put it bluntly, there's no amount of money saved that's worth taking God off of the throne. And of course, this is only one example. This is only one scenario, but commentator Michael Wilkins writes, Jesus' disciples from the first century to present day will encounter a number of everyday financial concerns that have the potential to deter them from the undivided loyalty to the kingdom of God. So who's going to be your master, God or money? And of course, my hope is that you're going to allow God to sit on the throne. My hope is that you'll choose God over money. And some of you, maybe many of you, have already made that commitment even years ago to let God run the show and not your finances. And others of you are still wrestling with that decision. Which route am I going to go? But whether you're trying to maintain the commitment you've already made or you're trying to figure out what you're going to do, you're going to have to at some point answer or consider the question, If I choose God over money, who will take care of my daily needs? Who's going to provide for my needs if I choose God over money? Now, for those who place the pursuit of money and material possessions on the throne of their lives, they know, or at least they think they do, of how their needs are going to be met. And it's all about self-reliance. They're going to have all they need and get all they want by by grinding for it. Meaning they're going to chase it, pursue it, and work for it. And of course, there's nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong with hard work and achieving financial goals. But this approach that we're talking about right now goes, goes beyond just working hard. You see, money and stuff in this instance becomes the all-consuming focus It becomes the filter through which every decision is made and everything else takes a back seat. But again, for those who choose God over money, we have to ask the question, well, how will their daily needs be met? How will we get our kids through college? Will we be able to afford a home? Will we ever be able to retire? What if this happens? Or what if that happens? Who is going to provide for us? And the answer to these questions is found in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Jesus goes on to say, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See, the lily, see how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor and spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and then tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? See, Jesus answers our questions here pretty clearly. When we choose God over money, when we allow God to sit on the throne, we can trust that he will provide for our needs. Now, to be clear, you may not have everything you want, right? You may not get everything you want, but when we do things God's way, he will make sure that we have everything we need. 
And honestly, I can't tell you how many times I've seen evidence of this in my own life. My wife Erin and I, we do our very best to try to live in, in God's way, do things God's way in every area of our lives, including our finances. And as a result, we've seen God provide for our needs again and again and again. I mean, we're a family of six on a single income living in California. And we have everything we need. And then some. Do we have new cars? Definitely not. I drive an 06 Honda CRV, and Aaron drives an 09 Honda Odyssey, and we're going to drive those suckers into the ground, right? <laughs> Do we own a home? No, but we rent a great house from amazing people in a fantastic location. Do we have debt? Nope. We work hard to live within our means. We give. We save, and then we live on the rest using a detailed budget to drive our finances every single month. And sure, just like anybody else, there's plenty of things we would like to have. There's plenty of things we want. But we have everything we need. And because we're prone to forgetfulness, I keep a list on my phone. Since the day we got married, of all the ways that God has provided for us financially in our marriage. And it's a long list. Not because of who we are. It has nothing to do with that. But because when you do things God's way, he will take care of you. He will meet your needs. Jesus has more to say on this topic, and let's pick it up in verse 31. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Pause right there. Again, when we do things God's way, you don't have to worry about your needs being met. However, the pagans, meaning someone who doesn't believe in or trust that God will intervene, they run after these things. Those who choose money over God are the ones who are striving for treasures on earth. And, and they don't necessarily submit to biblical principles because they assume that the provision for their needs is all on them. And even though there's plenty of us here in this room who love God and we strive to follow him, we can all fall into this same trap or pattern of behavior. Whether we're rich, poor, or somewhere in between, we can find ourselves consumed by thoughts like, what about the future? But what if we get sick? What about the kids? Money, money, money. And in those moments, we're operating like the pagans do because we're living as if there is no God or that is as if God will not intervene. And we take our focus off of a big God who provides and place it on our treasure. And when that happens for an extended period of time, it becomes a significant problem. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Check out the second half of verse 32. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. He knows. He already knows. He knows that we have legitimate needs. And he has every intention of providing for our needs. 
So it's just a matter of trusting him. It's this question of are we going to trust God to provide or make money our master, the primary focus of our lives? And so how do we make sure that we keep God on the throne of our lives and and not our money? How do we make sure that we rely on God to meet our needs and not our own efforts alone? Again, Jesus provides the answer to this question. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, put God first. Do things God's way, especially when it comes to your finances, and he will meet all of our needs. Okay, then how do we seek his kingdom first? How do we successfully tame the money monster that's looking to wreak havoc and destruction in our lives? Well, one practical way is to utilize the three buckets that Pastor Chris talked about last week. Give, save, and live. And we're going to specifically focus on the first bucket of giving, right? We give a portion to God, we save a portion for the future, and we live on the rest. And and why does the give bucket come first? Because Jesus specifically tells us to seek God's kingdom first. To put him first. And elsewhere in scripture, we're called to give the first fruits to God. Not whatever's left at the end of the month, if there's anything left at all. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. You see, this is the first step when it comes to managing the money monster in our lives. And I've known and practiced this principle for a long, long time, since I was a kid. Not because I had it figured out back then, but because I had parents who taught me this principle, who instilled this in me and my sisters from an early age, because they wanted us to understand a practical way to seek God's kingdom first and manage the money monster. And so at some point, I don't remember how old we were, my sisters and I started getting a weekly allowance Five bucks a week. We were about to stimulate the economy on our own, right? (laughs) And again, in an effort to instill this healthy financial habit, my parents taught us the principle of the tithe, meaning they had us give 10%, a whopping 50 cents to the local church. It just so happened that my dad was also the senior pastor of the church that we went to, right? So my sisters and I, we grew up in a pastor's home. And while so much has changed since the time that we were kids, one thing has remained. That's people are suspicious of any pastor who gets up on stage to talk about money. It's like this thing that's passed on from generation to generation. Like everybody knows the church is just after your money, right? We, we all believe this or on some level we feel this. And so, if that's how you're feeling, whether last week or this morning, let me try to help you with that by asking the question, why would the pastor tell his own kids to take a portion of the money they make, at least 10%, and give it to the local church? Why would my parents have us do that? Why did Pastor Chris and his wife Heather do this very same thing with their own kids? Let's think through a few possibilities. Option number one. 
It's because my dad wanted the church to gather up as much money as possible because it's true. The church does want all your money. And he was so all about it that he was like, I'm going to make sure that the church gets the collective dollar and 50 cents for my kids. Option number one. Option number two, because my dad knew that the church was in desperate need of that dollar 50 cents. In fact, he would have had to lay off the youth pastor had we not given our dollar 50 cents. The financial burden of the church rested on the shoulders of his children's dollar and 50 cents. The church needed his money, our money. Second option, intriguing. Or the real reason is because my parents knew, as do Chris and Heather, that for all their kids' lives, it doesn't matter how much money we make or how old we are, the chief competitor for our heart is money and stuff. And they wanted us to, or they wanted to do everything they could to prevent those things from sitting on the throne of our hearts. And they knew that giving is the best way to keep that from happening. They wanted us to know that we give first, trusting that God will take care of the rest. They wanted us to give and save and live because it's the best way to manage the money monster and experience financial freedom. And just as my parents taught us this lesson, I have every intention of making sure my own kids understand this truth. And I want you to understand it as well, that no matter what situation you're in or what circumstances you're in, the key to avoiding the destruction that the money monster can bring about is to give to God first, save, and then live on the rest. And these three buckets provide the overarching uh, foundation for your budget. Give 10%, save 10%, and live on the rest. And once you've done that, you're in a fantastic position to make sure you can further protect yourself from the ditch of hoarding and consumption, like Pastor Chris talked about last week, by creating a budget to help you manage your income every single month. This is a quick side note. If you want to dive deeper on this topic, or maybe you're like, man, my life financially is a mess. I'm getting worked over. I'm stressed. I'm constantly thinking about it. I'm living check to check. I got barely any money in my savings account. I'm stressed about it. It's causing tension in my marriage and my relationships. My kids are starting to feel it. I'm in debt up to my nose. I need help. If that's you, I, I, whether it is or not, even if you're in, in solid financial shape, I highly recommend you consider joining Financial Peace University. We're hosting it here in a couple of weeks on Wednesday evenings. It's a great, great investment as we try to figure out and how to, just how to do things God's way. You can get signed up, lifepoint.org slash support groups. All right, commercial over. See, I know how much everyone loves to talk about money in church. In fact, most people are like, mm, can we do more stewardship series every year? Like, like one time is, is really not enough. We'd like to do this more often. I get it, guys, and I know, I know. I'll talk to Pastor Chris. Rest assured, 
this church, we're not after your money. And frankly, neither is God. You want to know why? Because he owns it. It's not yours anyways. You can think it's yours. It's not. He doesn't need your money. He's the owner of your money. How do you think you got what you got in the first place? God gave it to you. You're not the owner. He is. You see, giving is not God's way of raising money for the church. It's his way of raising people with surrendered hearts. He doesn't care about your money. He cares about your heart. And are you going to give it to him? Or are you going to let money and stuff keep getting in the way? And you do you. I know that, you know, statistics tell us that everybody's financial plan is working just fine, right? It's going real well. No debt, living in financial peace, like got some retirement saved up. Like I know no one's living check to check. So, hey, do you. Keep doing things your way. But normal is broke. Normal is living check to check. Normal is having no savings in the bank account. You want to do normal? That's cool. That's fine. But my hope and prayer is that you'll give God's way a shot. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.